Well, Johnny and Raylene ate too much turkey and they can't get off the couch, so we're going to do something a little different today. This is our 2018 After Party Highlights Special. We hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and we want to thank you, all of our patrons, for your support throughout the year. You guys are the ones keeping the lights on here at the ship. Well, besides that time, Johnny boycotted the electric company. But regardless, we really appreciate it. And for all you listeners that haven't donated to the show, we ask that you head over to supportblastoff.com and pledge your support for as little as $1 per episode to help us spread liberty. This way you can get access to the after party too and hear some of our best segments that you've been missing out on. So don't get off the couch today. Just sit back and enjoy. Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. Off with Johnny Rocket and Raylene Lightheart, Episode 4. And we've been talking with Alex Merced, the new vice chair of the Libertarian Party. Pretty impressive, huh? Well, in not so impressive news, Johnny was flagged by the Free Speech and Good Feelings Council of the Intergalactic United Government of the Universe regarding his recent comments about Alex Merced and Ramzo W. Martinez being his token friends and also on recent comments regarding women, and he has been sentenced to 50 hours of sensitivity training. At first, Johnny figured it was time to take up arms and overthrow the bastards, but thankfully he came to his senses and decided it was better at this time to just crack a beer and enjoy the after party. Hey, it's Johnny Rocket and Raylene Lightheart at Blastoff, and we're talking to Alex Merced. Alex, how are you, man? You having fun on the damn show? I was a wonderful time on the show. You know, I always have a good time with you, Johnny. And Raylene, you're amazing. It's been a delightful speaking. Right on, man. And you know what, I, Alex? I mean, this entire interview, you've just been like spewing hate, hatred, <laughs> militant behavior. I just can't get over it, man. It's, I would, I would I expect more from a vice oh. chair. Silence him. Silence him. Vote I, him I, out. I, I really oh, do. Well, you know, because he just want to divide the party. That's all you want to do, man. That's all you want to do. You want to divide and conquer. That's how, you, no, man, Alex, you're a great man. And thank you so much for being here on the after party and answering all those questions. Cause some of them, some of them are a little militant, but that's, it's okay because <laughs> I feel very upset and angry about too, you know, and I'm with them on certain things like Bill Weld. I just want to say it. There was an article, and this happened, I guess, uh, this month sometime. But there was this article, and I figured I'd read it. It's strawless in Seattle. Not sleepless in Seattle, strawless. And I think Seattle now is the very first, yeah, very first city in the United States to actually implement this straw ban because it's somewhat endangering marine life because of all the waste and abuse. And but. The syringe needle needles in the parking lot, no problem. They like no, those that. Those are cool. Those are, those are Seattle's cool. Seattle's actually handing them out. They're handing Seattle's those hit. out, but you, there's restaurants now who can get fined up to, I believe it said anywhere between 500 to $2,000. If they put a straw of plastic in a drink, they could get fined up to 500 to $2,000. And I guess it could be possible criminal penalties associated with this. This is out of control. Like this is the stuff. 
that we have to deal with here in Seattle. So it's probably it's going to hit L.A. soon, man. You know it. No, here in the land of the free, we can get whatever straw we want <laughs> right now. But I'm just saying, dude, it's going to it's going to happen. You're I'm gonna, stocking up Amazon Seattle style. They have a, a warehouse close by. I can get same day delivery. I am going to be so loaded on straws. <laughs> Start handing them, them out. It's like an incandescent light bulb. That's great. You guys, do you know what I we should do? Ray, Ray, I have that's, Ray, okay. Ray. We need yeah. to buy straws and start handing them out downtown Seattle. That's what we need I'm to in. start doing this and film it and find you know out what? how many people we piss off by doing it. Time well spent. What if you handed them out with a clean needle inside the straw? Oh, well, yeah. then the government can't be mad, right? We'll no. say these are straw applicators. I mean, I'm not straw applicators, needle applicators. <laughs> no, but no, you can call them straw applicators. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying, you guys, like, just to piss people off. I am off. such a dork. I have a huge pile of silicone and metal stainless steel straws because I don't like paying for things over and over again. So I just want you to know that the market provides and I I understand that restaurants have these things, but they could be already switching to different kinds of things like uh, alternative and green technology if if we weren't making it so expensive, you know? Yeah. Uh, There's so many ways to handle it, but I'm already doing that. And I'm not even, you wouldn't consider me as a super big environmentalist, but I mean, no. why wouldn't we try to do these things? I mean, look at the plastic packaging that all these restaurants get their food from. Everything's individually packed. Every burger patty, a lot of times, um, portions of hard-boiled eggs are in plastic. Uh-huh. This is not a joke. Yeah. So why aren't we really looking at it? On If the government's hypocritical, that's all I have to say. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think we would all agree that the last people we want to try to protect us from ourselves is the government. So whatever, there's going to be some perverse end result out of this. There's going to be a black market. I mean, look at the war on drugs. I mean, I think that's the the example basically for making anything illegal. The war on drugs, war on guns, whatever it may be, you end up with a black market. Will there be crime over straws? I don't know. I, I hope there is. But the plastic bag ban, I oftentimes, I oftentimes leave city of Los Angeles proper to go to a neighboring suburb that doesn't have a plastic bag ban so I can get a plastic bag because they're amazing. They're great for garbage like in your office, right? At the 10th Amendment Center, right? Right here (laughs) at the center. At the center. Hey, so what we do, man, is on the after party, we have people, we posted a question like, hey, do you got any questions for Michael Bolden? We're interviewing him. So what we okay. do is we try to get people to ask you some questions and we say their name in hopes that they become Patreons on BlastOffPodcast.com or Patreon.com forward slash BlastOff. So Raylene, what's the first one you have from a listener to Mr. Bolden here? All right, Michael, are you ready? Nah. I'll wait. I'll yeah. just wait. We'll just wait. We need like a theme song. Yeah, we'll play. Yeah, I'll, I'll editor Ben. Tim Finnegan says, "What is your favorite way to make palm woods uncomfortable?" <laughs> <laughs> By saying no to a question. I, hey, you ready for this, not Michael? Answering no. that question. <laughs> Why oh. not? Is it that bad? No, I mean you know, today's his birthday. Maybe that's what it is. <gasps> it's my mom's birthday today. Uh, mm. Maybe they're the same person. Oh, my God. I wish my mom was Tom Woods. (laughs) Okay, so you're not going to answer it? That's fine if you don't. No, I'm not answering that. Tim, that's an awesome question. Plead the fifth. Plead the fifth, my friend. Plead in the something. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Jason Burt asks, 
in the current climate, are you getting more support from the left versus the right? Does it teeter-totter back and forth depending on whose status is in the White House? (laughs) It definitely teeter-totters. So um, a lot of people on the left during the Bush years were not... So again, again, during the show, I was talking about how part of the anti-war movement wasn't really anti-war. They were just pro-other stuff. Or you could really take it further. They were really anti-Bush. So once Bush was gone and the so-called peace president came in, who dropped 30,000 more bombs in his two terms than Bush did. It went from 70,000 to 100,000. Obama was that much worse. Uh, then the left just disappeared. So, But the same thing happened on the right. So we just did some research on federal gun control enforcement. We just did published an article on this earlier in the week. And we noticed that when Obama was in office, all these Republicans in state legislatures were introducing bills to nullify in some way federal gun control measures. There's tons of them on the books from 1934, 1968, 1986. Now, of course, we've got the Undetectable Firearms Act of 1988. None of them have been repealed. But soon as Obama left office, none of those bills get reintroduced as if it's as if nothing ever happened. And they just kind of just shift their view. And then on top of it, I read an article, I think it was in Slate early last year. That's a great magazine. I love that. I love that magazine. It could have been written by me. It was talking about nullifying the Fugitive Slave Act. And they really got a lot of the points like right on the money. Really? So they talk about the 10th Amendment on the left when Trump is in office, but when uh, President Warren or whoever else is going to be the next one, that'll, that'll go away. You're going to be a right. racist for, for, for mentioning it. Elizabeth Warren has a bill called the States Act talking about protecting states' rights under the 10th Amendment on marijuana. Bernie Sanders talks about the 10th Amendment now. Not all the time, but they'll pick and choose because they recognize this is kind of like a battering ram to hit the opposition over the head. And the Republicans do the same thing. So they do switch around a lot. The only consistent ones really are libertarians. And the Scott Horton rule, as we all know, is libertarians outright the right on all of their favorite issues and out left the left. So they're they're way more pro-gun. The the uh, conservatives out there generally, especially the NRA, they're like, well, you can you're right to keep and bear arms means, you know, just get a permission slip. That's right. You know, or some, you know, a short barreled shotgun should be illegal because that's not really a firearm anymore. It's something else. It's a military weapon. Whereas libertarians are like, what do you mean? Why do I need uh, permission from anybody to protect myself, my property, my family? And then on the left, you're always way more anti-war than any anti-war lefty than Dennis Kucinich, than uh, then kind of milk toast anti-war Bernie Sanders, all of that. So it, those are the people that are consistent. We've been reaching more and more of them in recent years. And I think that's really the most important people right there to build that movement, provide them with the tools that are needed to actually effectuate these, effectuate the, these principles that we talk about. And that's our goal. Right on, man. Uh, so my brother from another mother, Mr. Mark Claire says, what is your favorite? You ready? You ready for the, ah. are you going to say no? <laughs> I can only right, imagine. What is your favorite sardine base? Is it water, <laughs> oil, no, or mustard? Oil. Or mustard? Olive oil. Olive oil. Really? Do you Good know call. why he's asking this? I don't. I, I love Mark Claire. The guy's amazing. So... In response, did you fall? Did you fall in love with his hair? Is that what happened? No, it's his uh, beautiful eyes. 
Um, okay. But in response to the Southern Poverty Law Center expose on me being a leader of the radical right, now anyone listening to this uh, probably would think that that's pretty absurd. You know, the the pro weed anti war guy is you know part of the radical right. I mean, that's pretty absurd, right? But in response to that, Mother Jones magazine wrote a defense of me, and one of the things that they mentioned, they're like, really, this basically, they said he lives in, he's basically a California hipster who, when he travels, he carries around cans of sardines to make sure he gets enough uh, omega threes oh, with him. Oh, okay. So Mark got a kick out of that. And oh, yes, I, yeah, I don't know the reference, but that is why he asked that. I see it now, and now. There you have it. Do you really eat sardines? Not as much as I used to. I've kind of moved to hemp seeds for my omegas. Oh, really? Yeah, because I'm more of like a ramen guy, like, you know, top oh. ramen. So, That's- okay, well, if you really want to talk ramen, I live two blocks from Little Tokyo here in downtown Los Angeles, nice. and I have probably some of the best ramen on earth that I can get, and I can't even eat at all the places. Do you like it spicy? Like, burn your ass the next day's hot. I do, but I can't do that two days in a row. <laughs> There's a place that I actually haven't it, gone to. Would that, be, like a pl- would that be a plumbing issue? Is that- <laughs> yeah, that's definitely pl- <laughs> Nice reference. <laughs> so there's a place called Orichon Ramen that was on Man vs. Food. And the guy got some of it on his face and his face turned red like it was burning his skin oh, and his eyes yeah. were watering. I'm not touching it that hot. No way. No, no but man, I'll tell you what, that top ramen, man, I, it, like that saved my life. <laughs> nice. Yeah, like 10 cents a pack. And Mine there was, was generic Captain Crunch. Oh, dude, Captain Crunch is my favorite cereal, bro. I'm sorry, what did you call it? Captain Crunch. Ca- There's it's no Cap'n. T. It's actually it's an Cap'n. apostrophe. It's C-A-P apostrophe N. Let's have some respect for the Captain, Know please. your Captain. Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch. I thought it was Captain Crunch. I called it that my entire life. But okay, you're right. It's spelled Captain. She gave me that look. That wasn't nice. It wasn't nice. Okay. So, hey, Michael, thank you so much, man. This has been fucking awesome, man. You're a cool guy. Well, we don't have any more. We don't have any more behind the scenes questions. I'm a little let down. That that was well, it. Well, I'd like you to ask Johnny a question. That's my question. Wow, ask me a question. Who, who's right. your favorite guest ever? <laughs> Ooh, you know, I, I actually, it's actually two guys. I could actually okay. narrow it down to two. I would actually say it would be probably Walter Block. Oh, that must have been cool. Oh, Walter's great. I mean, yeah. he is yeah. a cool dude. And I, I just, I met him actually at the very first Libertarian convention I've been to. And I, or no, the second one. And I remember I was in the next room from Walter Block. I'm like, that's Walter Block. And everyone's like, what the f- is wrong with you, man? I'm like, that's Walter. He's next door to me. I am like in like the vicinity of Walter Block. And this was after, no, then I interviewed him after, but I'm like, dude, you're awesome. He's just a nice guy. He's really cool. Yeah. And I'd actually have to say Tom Woods. I was probably the most excited to have Tom on just because every time I talk, you know, I was like, I, I did. And I talked to Tom the first time I met Tom. I think I pretty much like attacked him. Like I remember <laughs> seeing him in at, at, at 2016 <laughs> convention and there he was like, hey, I'm Tom Woods. You know, and there's a couple people around him. Those people, I bum rushed his ass and I'm like, can I get a picture? And then, like, he was just like, whoa, what the f- is wrong with this dude? And, you know, like, and here's this guy with tattoos on his neck, and I'm I'm sleeved out, and I have a leather jacket on. And then here's oh, little yeah. Tom Woods, you know, with the suit on, glasses. And then here I am with, like, a pompadour, f- chops. And I'm like, hey, Tom Woods. And he's like, who the f- is this guy? And uh, <laughs> it's funny, though, because now he's like, yeah, I remember you. And I'm like, yeah, you'll never forget. Wait, you yeah, exactly. Okay, so that I might actually answer Tim's question with this kind of sorta, maybe. So 
at the this most recent Libertarian Party convention in New Orleans. It was my first one ever. Uh-huh. Somewhere like on day two or something like that, Tom says, hey, uh, we're, we're staying here an extra day. You want to go to lunch? We're meeting up with Walter Block. And I was there with Mike Meharry. And we're like, oh, are you kidding? That's amazing. <laughs> that, that's like, like awesome. We never met Block. <laughs> but yeah. Tom invites us to go have lunch with Walter Block. Right. Incredibly. Same, same as you. He's... Just an incredibly engaging, fun, yes. nice guy. He's wonderful. Right? Super and nice. And we all are asking him questions about, like, what was it like you know, when you were with Murray back in the day in the 60s? We were so excited to hear all these stories about him with Rothbard. And as I was leaving, I'm like, you know, and we were kind of all chuckling about that. And I said, you know, someday I'm going to have a bunch of people saying, hey, Bolden, what was it like to go have lunch with Woods back in the day when you were at that convention? Mm-hmm. And I think he got a little embarrassed by that. But I think it's true. I yeah, mean, the is man cool. is an intellectual giant. Happy birthday again, Tom. I'm not sure when this is going to run, but... Uh, next week. Next Friday. But it'll be relative still. Happy belated. Yeah, there you go, man. Um, so I actually had a question about that. Uh, Eric, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Let's do it. Okay, so you've been drawing criticism for a really long time, being a person of color, speaking against collectivism, leftist politics, who exploit instead of empower. And it takes a strong, rebellious streak to take that from people over and over. Were you always an outlier or a person who felt emboldened by their differences? Or did libertarianism itself ignite that in you? Oh, that's a good question. I think I've always been like that. Even when um, I was, I would say, along a different line of thinking, like, being a leftist, for example, even though that was the case, I was always feeling like uh, the weirdo. The I, I was the most popular guy in the school, but I didn't, I didn't kick it with anybody. You know what I mean? Uh, that that was just how I was. So being sort of this hard headed person, that was that's always been in me. Being this hard headed person mm-hmm. that isn't afraid, you know, to take a a position that kind of deviates from even the group that I'm among. Is it's not been you know it's, it's not a problem and uh, I don't know what it is I don't know if it was my mother that really instilled that in me maybe I can attribute it to her but I feel like I've been like that for for the large uh, portion of, of my life even definitely as a, as a youngster where I can I'm just like you know I'm gonna do what I gotta do you're gonna take it in whatever way you gotta take it and I'm, I'm ready for the criticism like I'm one of the uh, and, you know people see me on Twitter they see me going back and forth and people are always like man I don't know how I don't know how you do it you know what I mean you get all this but it's like dude I let that stuff just roll off of me, man. Like, it's like, for one, I know none of these guys are going to whoop my ass. That's first and foremost. You know what I mean? If I'm just being right. blunt with it, they ain't going to whoop my ass. But uh, uh, but on, on, on a serious note, is that I'm confident in, in what it is that I believe in. And when you're confident, when you genuinely are confident and, and you you believe in it. It's 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 so easy. It's easy to to get out there and, and you know you're gonna take some criticism definitely if you're taking a libertarian position uh, to sort of modernize what we're talking about. It's it's difficult and you know people are gonna come at you. But if you're principled and you really thoroughly believe in what you're saying, then it's like whatever. Y'all gonna come at me? I'm ready for it. Let's get to the real. You know what I mean? So I, it, I actually wrote down a quote from your Tom Woods interview, which, by the way, was great. And it was you summed it all up by saying, we're always going to go out on top. Like, you know it. You know, you have nothing but confidence. You know, you're righteous. And that's the thing is that it, it the righteousness of just uh, being factual and logical, but also having this beautiful philosophy backing it all. Yeah, we got the all ideas all on our side. We have the ideas right. on our side. That makes it so much easier. And the logic. You know, yeah, and that's the it's, thing. It's just like, yeah, I mean, we, we, we. It's a beautiful philosophy that we that we are advocates of, and like I said, we're right. You know what I mean? So it's like 
that's that's just so easy when you know you're right you know why you know that's what i've done like me i speak about a lot of the same subjects over and over particularly economics because that's my that is my specialty like we can talk about race that's fine like I'm, i'm not saying that i won't talk about race but when you try to utilize that as like the dominating reason for for why you want me on the show there's no, no, I'm like, no, I, I might do one of those every now and then, but I'm not going to be dominated. That's why when you see most of my podcast uh, interviews and stuff like that, that I'm a part of, we're talking about every other thing. And then we may mention race and stuff like that. And it's not to say, I don't want any people to get it twisted. I'm perfectly fine. And I prefer that we do talk about that. That's fine. Like, let's talk about race. That's like, let's not be scared or shy away from it. That's not what I'm saying. But there's a difference between having that just be a part of the conversation or just saying, all right, well, this guy just, uh, I want to use him as my mouthpiece. Like that's that, right. A different I'm, I'm with but you. It doesn't, it's not your identity. And and that's where, again, it's about the message and it, it should not be always coming back to a, a collective, which is, that's how I would feel. Same thing about like women's caucuses. I bet um, you, yeah, I bet you would deal with the same thing. Similar. Yeah. But I mean, I think actually think it's easier for women than honestly, than black people break from the, the leftist mentality. And because I feel like they have been exploited and brainwashed through public school. Uh, all, all people have been brainwashed through public school. I'm all people, but um, that the Democrats have their best interest at heart. Even So here's the thing about Republicans that are, let's just say racially insensitive as a, as the label. No one's pretending not to be racially insensitive on the Republican side, really. Like, it's kind of like a, a well-known truth. That's what, that's what Malcolm X called, they said, like, the difference between the, the white liberal and, and the white conservative. Like, they might have the same end game, but yeah. the white conservative is, he said, the, the analogy that he uses, I hate to cut you off, but the analogy uh, that he uses is that the the white conservative is is like a wolf and the white liberal is like a fox. You know what I mean? Because he said the white conservative, he sh- he's a wolf. He shows his teeth. You know exactly what you're getting from him. The white the white leftist is more like a fox and he's the one that always lives, ends up at the lamb because he's fixing his teeth like he's smiling. He looks more friendly uh, than than the wolf does because the wolf lets his detentions, uh, lets the intentions be known. I'm That's trying right. To That's ass. right. You know, you know what I mean? You know what fox, you're dealing with. Yeah, you know exactly what you're getting. And that's this is why I respect them more uh, than I respect the left by any means. The racist left, uh, they sort of hide their, it's, it's a slick way of racism um, because it's like, oh, well, I'm the champion of the minority. And the white, cons- the, the Klansmen, for example, I'm not saying that all white conservatives are like racist. Not what I'm saying by any means. I'm just saying like, like yeah. a Klansman, I get what you're saying. You know right off the rip. They're like, yeah, like we don't <laughs> like y'all. And I'm like, I bet. I would much rather have that because I know exactly how to deal with you. Like, uh, you know, Malcolm says, uh, it's funny because right now I had his video pulled up of Malcolm. He's literally talking about this uh, on his video that I have up uh, on my monitor. But no, but that's what he's, he's always, he used to always talk about that. It's like the uh, white liberals are used like these, um, black leaders as sort of this political football, uh, as this football in this political football game against the conservatives. You know what I mean? It's not that they have your best intentions in mind. They just act like they're the friend and benefactor. And then they use the, uh, use the black folks to gain power and stuff like that. He was saying that stuff long before I was thought about being alive and it's still happening right now. Corey Falconer says... <laughs> What'd you say? Corey Falconer. <laughs> okay, is that how you say his last name? Oh, you know him. Okay, good, because his last name, it's new for me. Yeah, he is. How was it that your campaign team was so successful getting you in front of the media? Several things. Mm-hmm. One, a whole lot of online. 
yes. online was everything. We sent out press releases, which were virtually useless, are almost useless. But they ignore them. But what actually works is pounding them on Twitter. Twitter. Pounding them on Twitter. Nice. Yeah, I pounding agree. Pounding them on Facebook. Pounding them on Twitter, pounding them on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and Instagram, pound them on those social media aspects and they, and they will hear you. Right on. Lawrence Lee said, uh, you've been working your tail off for over a year trying to get your message out. Could you pull off an election stunt that would get your name in the major headlines just before the election that would make Como look like a schmo that he is? Asking for a friend. Good luck, Larry Sharp for New York. What would, what do you want me to do? What was the question? What? He wanted you to do a, a, a publicity stunt, like, you know, j- jump in front of a train or something. I don't know. No, I don't want to do publicity stunts. Publicity stunts, generally speaking, just hurt. Mm-hmm. I pay for those all the time, too. Mm-hmm. They're cheap. Um, every week, there's a picture of James Weeks on one of my pages. Every week. Guaranteed. <laughs> every week. Who? Guaranteed. James Weeks. Guaranteed. He's a good guy. I want to be very clear. He's a great guy. He's a smart guy. Yeah. The, the issue is, and it's, it's going to sound crazy, but the stunts that so many libertarians do, it's not their fault. They do it, but it's not their fault. And I say that mm-hmm. because nothing else has worked. Right. They're frustrated. Mm-hmm. And that's why they do it. That's why I'm not mad. I have to pay for it, and I do all the time. But I'm not mad at them. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else to do. It always fails. I'm there's, trying to be the way. Yes, it is. I'm yeah. trying to show people there's another way. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make it to where people will do a publicity stunt, not because it's their only option, right. but because they think it will actually work. That's what I want. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I, I've never gotten a picture of James Week, so I feel proud. So there we start there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, uh, that's the, to be a candidate, right? All right. Are you ready for Houston? We have a problem. We have a fun new game that we're going to play, and it's a lot like Would You Rather. Okay. It's really easy, and it's just a f- silly. And you can expand on any of the answers. It's just fun. Okay? And at the very end, you can ask us any question you want. Okay, Dan, are you ready? All right. Yes. Houston, we have a problem. Number one, would you rather no one show up for your wedding or no one show up for your funeral? Well, no one did show up for my wedding by design. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it would be nice to be to be remembered and missed, I suppose. Yeah. All right, Johnny. All right. Uh, I guess I'll do number two. Would you rather be Magneto, who everyone views as a villain because he calls for the annihilation of humanity to preemptively protect the rights of mutants, or be Professor X, who chooses peace but is still a naive status bootlicker? <laughs> oh, man. You got to pick between the two, huh? Oh, yeah. Well, I got to go with, with Professor X with the hopes that he can learn and grow as he continues to mature there you go all right good answer number three you can only choose one today for all everyday non-politicians who live in your state so you can only have one and it would be anybody who's not a politician would either only negative right vote or vacate the vote what would you pick uh what's vacate mean just they don't have an opinion they don't vote at all vacating the vote yeah a voting is an aggression refusing to vote to because they don't want to legitimize the state yeah i'm kind of with lysander spooner on that yeah vacate vacate i think that voting voting just encourages them even with negative rights that's awesome i i I have friends from both schools of thought and i respect both i'm right now working with the lp but I respect the other side of that. Yeah, I'm torn on that whole thing. I, I do like what the Mises Caucus is doing, but I think that begging your masters is not like a great idea. But I, I also have a you. spot for uh, Ron Paul. You know, he used it as a platform for education. I wouldn't be here today without him. So I'm, I'm, I am, to, I am torn. I am torn on it. 
Exactly. Oh, totally, man. Neither would any of us. Yeah, me too. Totally, totally. Same. Okay, Johnny. All right. Number four. Uh, would you rather have the survival chances of a Game of Thrones character or have the survival chances of a black man in a routine police stop? Oh, man. I got, I'll go with Game of Thrones, man. <laughs> I, I'm nervous enough yeah. getting pulled over by a cop or interacting with a cop at all, let alone right. you know being perceived as, as more threatening because of the color of my skin. Or whatever, you know. Having a monopoly on, on justice services is is the biggest part of the problem there. Fantastic. Number five. Would you rather have Trump's hair and tiny hands or Hillary's pantsuits complete with metal exoskeleton that she wears under them holding her upright? I got to go exoskeleton on that one. <laughs> there you go. Exoskeleton. All right. Uh, number six. Would you rather your child be the smartest kid on the block and a little bastard or the kindest kid in the neighborhood and pretty much a dumbass? Well, both my kids are super bright and my neighborhood is not so great. So they're already the first. So I'll, I'll go with that. I, I like the kids how they are. <laughs> Cheater. <laughs> All right. All right really. Number seven. Would you choose to have completely transparent skin that we could see through, or would you rather be completely covered in six inch hair, even your eyelids? I'll go see through because I get hot already with, with the amount of hair that I have, which I am growing <laughs> out, by the way. I actually officially now have a mullet for the first time since I was probably eight. And nice. Rocking the 80s mullet. I figure if I don't do it now, nice. when will I get a chance to, you know? So, yeah, I'm going to go with that. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go with the uh, yeah. transparent skin. Can you please consider Joe Dirt as a Halloween costume? I mean, while you have it happening. You know, by, by October, this just might be perfect for that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Are, question are eight. Ready? Yeah, question eight. All right. I am. You ready, Daniel? <laughs> you ready? Raylene's over here. I'm ready. I'm excited to yep. hear what Johnny has to say. All right, number eight, you could pick one. Would you rather live without podcasts for the rest of your life, or would you forego watching movies from here on out? Uh, honestly, I actually don't consume as many podcasts as I would like. I, I probably listen to maybe one or two a week, in and addition the, to making that's a Blast few. Off, right? Is that the one? Well, I, I actually did listen to the most recent Blast Off and the Sherry Voluntary. And, well, okay, I, I'm a liar. I have been listening to more recently, but... I would probably give up podcasts in general, keep the movies. Okay, okay. cool. Number nine, you are forced to go back into time. Do you re-experience your most embarrassing moment of your life all over again, or do you re-experience the saddest moment you've ever had? Well, this is where my terrible memory really <laughs> benefits me in that I don't really know which one was which, so... Yeah, it's a toss-up for me. I'd, I'd just flip a coin on that one. Number 10, would you rather have the hottest wife ever who chewed on her toenails or a wife that breeds yappy dogs who aren't house-trained but also makes a mean meatloaf? Well, I already have the first one. <laughs> but What's does that? she chew on her toenails? Say no. Say no for her sake. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to go into the extra Patreon, like higher-level bonus content. <laughs> exactly. $50 per, so per, per episode. But if she does, though... Hey, hold on, Raylene. If she does, she's very flexible. Hot. So maybe that's another perk. You know, I love for, how you guys Daniel. always find the silver lining. Thank you for being positive role models in my life. Oh, totally. Because if she could put her foot in her mouth, guess what? Look, think of all the she could do in bed. Yeah. She could be like yeah. up on the ceiling. You, you know, can, well, you could just encourage it that. by putting a comb in her hand, in her foot and say, hey, brush your hair. And like you just get her start doing stretches, get her <laughs> Next thing you know, OJ's a millionaire, right? So I don't know. I think, Dan, I think that's a good thing. 
I don't think I don't think I, it doesn't gross me out the toenails as long as she keeps all right. Manicured, that was a fun game. Thanks for playing, Dan. Yeah, thank you. And you know, it reminds me of uh, Jerry Seinfeld oh. when he dated the gymnast, uh. thinking that he would get you know those crazy positions, and it was like, eh, so so. Eh. What? Eh. Stephanie Bloom Parker says, what lessons or pieces of wisdom would you pass on to those who wish to further the ideology? You can't trick somebody into libertarianism. You can be patient. You can take time to explain things. For example, most people who know me know that I oppose the existence of government schools. And I'll talk to them and listen to them and discuss with them very patiently, very calmly. You know, one-on-one, I, I, don't, I don't really get quite so aggressive one-on-one. One-on-one, I'm, you know, I'm patient and calm and kind and all the, that kind of stuff. And I'll discuss with them for however long it takes, sometimes over many discussions over a period of months or even years. But there's a big difference between being patient about changing where somebody is or, you know, being open to change yourself. There's a difference between patience and, you know, pandering and manipulation. Right. Pandering and manipulation, it's morally wrong and it's strategically ineffective. Because if you do succeed in tricking somebody about what libertarianism is, if you trick somebody out of their vote, they're going to be bringing in more people who don't agree with you. And then you're going to end up spending that whole time just doing more and more and more lies. That's where the Libertarian Party has unfortunately gotten itself in a lot of ways, where we spend a lot of time lying about what libertarianism is. And now we have to compound to, to cover those lies with some more lies. I think it's time to stop that. You know, a lot of people got so upset when, when folks are talking about libertarian socialism. If we are going to be open to things like government schools and say that's a type of libertarianism, you can't be surprised when people are going to be in favor of socialism when we're saying that socialism is okay. Government schools are socialism. I mean, yeah. it's a type of socialism. Right on. Fantastic. I'm with you, man. Vincent Stoops asks, Arvin, how do you respond to critics who think you are trying to undermine the Libertarian Party's potential success? I mean, they're just wrong. I mean, I, I get what, what they think needs to happen. They think that if the Libertarian Party is so meek and so inoffensive that no one hates us, that we'll somehow win. But the fact is, in politics, if you're actually doing politics, about 49% of the people are going to hate you. If you want to look at how politics looks, look at how Hillary supporters treat Trump. Or how Trump supporters talk to Hillary. I mean, you know, how they spoke about Hillary. It's open animosity. That's politics. I get sometimes it's not as pleasant as hanging out with your friends, but that's why we call it politics, not just hanging out with your friends. You got to expect blowback. In fact, you need to court blowback. If you don't court the blowback, if you don't go out of your way and say, listen, this is the kind of blowback I want, then the media is going to pick it for you, which is yeah. what they did to Gary Johnson. You know, if Gary Johnson had been talking about abolishing government schools, they wouldn't have been had time to talk about Aleppo. They have been dealing with the government schools. That's right. Yeah, because you know the questions. If he was focused in on government schooling or end the wars or no, they wouldn't even ask him Aleppo. That wouldn't even come up. And then in that case, it, the ball would be in his court because he would know how to respond to those questions. Oh my god. Ugh. That's funny. <laughs> cocaine, man, it's great. Anyway, so uh, this is the after party, and I'm here with the beautiful Ray of Truth, Miss Raylene Lightheart, and we're talking to our very special guest, Miss Kimberly Roth. Hello again. This is the very laid back version. We have some jazz playing, and I am switching over to a martini because it's more classy, and I have my pinky out. Oh. So I feel pretty good about that. I say no to that. Put your pinky back in, brother. Okay. Well, I, I just wanted to be Close like. Shop. I, wanted, I wanted to be okay. like sophisticated, all right? So. 
Kim, thank you so much for being here again, doing this after party. I did tell you, like, you could be here for, like, nine hours, or you could be here for, like, 30 minutes, depending on how well you're doing. So, obviously, you're doing well because we're past an hour. Hey, I did it. Yeah, you did it. You made it past the gauntlet. Oh, I love it. The gauntlet of liberty. That's right. (laughs) So, yeah, this is what we do on this thing is uh, we basically just talk to you and informal, maybe ask you some stuff that, you know, maybe is, you know, know, maybe you don't want everyone in the world to know about. Creepertarian status, achievement unlocked. That's right. (laughs) No, no, but, but, but Kim did say I wasn't a weirdo Nazi. So I guess I'm good there. Yeah. You're not verified. Actually, that creepy, and you're not a Nazi. So I'm not creepy. Seriously, I have not seen Johnny this giddy once since we started recording. For some reason, you just amp him up. He is having a blast. I just want you to know this is like Johnny's having a a lot of fun recording with you. Oh, good. Is it the cocaine? Yes. (laughs) Kimberly, never offer me the cocaine again. All right. I went to a house once and I raked my fingers through the carpet and I found a hit of acid. And I remember going, what the hell's going on in this house? Like, I remember that happened to me when I was young. Wow. You were like, Grandma, why? (laughs) (laughs) I knew she was cool for a reason. Like, that woman was very cool. So, oh my God. Oh, that explains why you can't bake cookies, Grandma. Yeah, you're (laughs) tripping, man. There's a dragon in the kitchen god damn grandma's like stir the gravy stir the gravy i need a minute oh. Um. oh my god okay so i got i have a question let's let's get it out of the way mark kibler he asks do you believe socialists should be welcome in our party well that is a easy question with a longer complex answer so okay. we were talking about differences in definitions and right. if That is a fundamental aspect is it really depends on how people define property and how they define human interactions and the necessity or efficacy of government in any case. If you are, say, a communist in like the classical sense, not in terms of Marxism or Stalinism or Leninism or any other perversion or version that's been put forth, but just strictly relationships should be voluntary. It should be a community-based thing. We share, you know, we contribute to the extent that we're capable and we share to the extent that we need. And it doesn't involve force or compelling anyone to behave. Then I think that's totally permissible. That is a voluntary interaction. It just happens to be a much more community or commune-based system. And that's their prerogative. Hence, yeah, hence Rocket Fire question 10, right? Like when we were talking about if you would have to stay. If it's voluntary, that's totally fine. There was a candidate that I worked for once. It was actually the first campaign that I ever worked on. He was running for Congress. And he used to say this, and I thought it was just such a a well-stated phrase, which is like, in my world, like in my world of ideal liberty, which he was an anarchist, there's room for us all. Mm-hmm. But in your world, there's not. That's really the fundamental question. Like if people want to get in their little enclave and run their system that way, that is their prerogative, more power to you. You want to go live in the desert somewhere and have like a cult going? That's cool too. Like just you do you, leave me out of it. But when you start to say everybody else should and there should be a law that makes you do so, then we're going to start having problems. And that's where I believe that we have a right to self-defense. Right on. Okay, Eric, it's time for the listeners to put you on blast. Are you ready to answer their questions? I'm ready. Putting you on blast. We're going to put you on blast. So Mark Claire from the Lines of Liberty asks... (laughs) 
what is the most libertarian car and what is the most communist car? <laughs> well, historically, okay, let's start with the communist car, first of all. I think the, the, the most obviously communist car is the Trabant. Do you guys know what that is? Mm-mm. No. Okay, it, it, was, it was a Soviet car. That was made out of recycled plastic, and that was common in the Soviet Union and East Bloc countries, East Germany in particular. It had a horrendous uh, blue smoke spewing two-stroke, two-cylinder engine, and it made the Yugo look like a fine piece of machinery. Really? So <laughs> that's yeah, oh. that's the ultimate communist car. It sounds about right. They probably barbecue dogs in the back so they can eat. <laughs> you, yeah, I think it's top speed. If you could get it running, was about forty miles an hour. Wow, oh. that, that wouldn't do very good on the autobahn or anywhere else in the U.S. Uh, no, yeah, no. Now, as far as as far as the ultimate libertarian car, boy, that's a tough one. There's so many possibilities here. What would I go with? I think I'm going to go back, and this is just there are many. So this is not necessarily. If I had to think about this more, I'd probably come up with something better. But I think a Jaguar E-Type. You guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, the no, Jaguar. I know Jaguar. Jaguar. Okay, Jaguar E-Type is, is considered by many car people to have been the drop-dead most sexy car ever made. Oh, yeah. Came out in the 60s, and we well, remember Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. He, yes. he had one of the, you know, had one of the, he was driving one of them in, at his time. Now, the car, of course, had a magnificent six-cylinder engine, later a V12, no catastrophic converters, carburetors, no airbags, just a wonderful wood wheel, brushed aluminum uh, mm. dashboard, just a, a symphony of freedom and wonderfulness. Okay, so Eric Haler asks, he's great. Ask him about his most insane clover encounter. And then Luke Enser asks, where did that name even come from? Which one should I answer first? Either one. Okay, I'll start, I'll start with answering what the clover is because people probably are, who aren't familiar with uh, the ins and outs of the site don't know about it. There was a very persistent troll when I first launched the site, this is pre-clover days, who identified himself as clover. And this guy, it was just the archetypical authoritarian collectivist, safety Nazi, busybody type of personality. And he was relentless and stupid at the same time. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, after a while, his name just became synonymous with all of that stuff, with authoritarian collectivism, busybodyism, and stupidity. So it's now shorthand. If you're a clover, it means you're, a, you know, a narrow-minded, little busybody, control freak, authoritarian collectivist. So that answers that question. Now, encounters. Oh, my gosh. I, at some point, I'm going to write a book, book about this. Um, I'll tell you my best because the statute of limitations is now expired and I can, <laughs> I can publicly air this. Okay. Um, all right. This is in the late 90s. And at that time, I still lived in Northern Virginia. Uh, my parents at that time also lived in Northern Virginia. And so one day I went to go visit them and I had a, a, a Chrysler PT Cruiser press car. And this was when they first came out around the time that they first came out. So they were fairly unusual. Remember right. the PT yes, Cruiser? Yes, yes, yes. But anyway, I was headed back to my house and uh, behind me, all of a sudden there was this Mercedes. E-Class that was just on my ass. I mean, it was, it couldn't even see his headlights. That's how close he was. I don't know what his problem was. I promised Scout's Honor and I'm an Eagle Scout. I did nothing to this guy. I'm not a dickhead driver. I'm a fast driver, but I'm not a dickhead. Anyway, I, I got tired of having this guy uh, up my bumper, so I executed a few quick jigs and moves uh, through, through the traffic and put some space between me and him, and that enraged this guy. He was flipping out. I could see him you know, jerking his car left and right, trying to figure out how he could catch up to me. Uh, now, by this time, I've put about a quarter mile of distance between myself and him, and up ahead is the off-ramp from the road that I was on 
to the road that I take to my old house. Now, I took that road every single day. I knew that ramp very well. I knew exactly how fast I could take that ramp. Perhaps you can see where I'm headed. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, uh, this guy, I saw him break free and pass all these other cars on the shoulder, and he was barreling up on me. So, we get to the ramp, and I ease into this thing, light drift through the corner. I knew the guy wouldn't be able to hang with me on the speed. And, of course, he didn't. (laughs) He overcorrected, lost it, and piled into the side of the guardrail, probably at 60 or 70 miles an hour. Wow. The Mercedes blew up. I mean, it was like pieces of it went everywhere. Oh, my gosh. Just desserts. Yeah. So, well, I I got home, and at that time, I know, home was just a couple miles up the road. I got home. I had another press car, different car, got in it, and went back. See the guy standing there by the side of the road with his wrecked Mercedes. Wow. (laughs) That is awesome. I enjoyed that. And then later, after everything had cleared away and after the tow trucks had come and the cops had come, I actually took a piece of the debris. You remember Mercedes from that period had that body cladding along the bottom. And I took a piece of that body cladding that I found along the side of the road and I I wrote War Booty on it and I hung it in my garage. Nice. (laughs) Good story. Great story. Awesome. Okay, Victor, it's time for the listeners to put you on blast. Are you ready to answer their questions? Sure thing. Okay, so my uh, fiance asks, um, Kimberly Ruff, after an artist creates a piece, who owns it, the artist or the audience after creation? It's a good question, babe. Is that an intellectual property rights question? It is. Who I owns it? It, it? Once I publish it, who owns it? Yeah. Like, so if you publish a work, yeah, is it the artist who owns the work or is it the audience who views it? I know. I, I always own the work. I, I own the actual physical manifestation of the work. Anything that comes afterwards in publication is just a, is just an image of it. A fragmented image or a, or a printed copy. hard copy, uh, reproduction. So, but I always, I, I own the original. Nice. Awesome. The physical piece. <laughs> right on. All right. Uh, Kimberly Ruff also asked, do you allow your art to speak for itself or do you write a statement for that piece? Yeah, I, I, I'm attracted to the idea of uh, letting an art stand on its own merits. And, um, and and I do provide a lot of different visual clues. I mean, I purposely put a lot of little tidbits uh, into the work if you pay attention. And sometimes that can be interpreted one way or another, and I'm fine with that. But uh, in a second book that I'm uh, writing called The, uh, the Anarchist at large, uh, there will be portions in the book of, of which I'll uh, elaborate on certain given pieces. So I just made a plug for my second book. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes. All right. Tiffany Diaz de Leon asks, do you believe in government funded art? Ooh. Hell no. Hell no. Perfect. I knew the answer. Well, we, all know, job. we all know the answer. Okay. Yeah, can, you ima- can you imagine the inconsistent anarchist who says, I want government out of everything. Are you an artist? Yeah. What about government funding? Yeah. Would you take it if the city of Seattle wanted to buy your uh, a piece that you've made, um, a a printer or something? Question. The original. Would you do that? Would you sell it to them? Well, you got that's that that's an interesting question. Like Walter Block uh, has this this whole thing of. uh, that we've uh, that we've invested in the uh, this uh, uh, the system for the most part of our adult life for Christ's sake. So the, the that any money's any money back while still advocating against the state and speaking against it. It's not hypocrisy. It's just the recouping. 
Bill God gains in the first place. That's yeah, true. libertarians are the only ones that are allowed to do that. In fact, is what he says, right? Yeah, that's like, to but, that effect. Yeah, but, but that's then, why. I don't, and I don't. And I and I don't. I don't even hold a, a minarchist like Ayn Rand to uh, to fault, as a lot of people tend to think. Some striking point against her for collecting um, so social cool. security. Right. She's invested in her entire adult life. For Christ's sake, she's getting. She's. You know, if, if, if some kid took your your bike on uh, on the street and you're walking in the neighborhood, and you seen in his yard you're not stealing the property it's you're recouping simply that was taken from you that's true all right so alaric mccoy this is his question to you mcafee what go ahead <laughs> <laughs> exactly he got it you know as many people uh that were pissed off in the libertarian universe with gary johnson and his performance i promise you if McAfee and I won, a lot more libertarians would be pissed off because we would have done something radically different. We were actually approximately 45 votes away from getting the nomination. And if that happened, it would have been an entirely different experience because we would have caused outrage intentionally, poured gasoline on all those fires and made something beautiful that the media couldn't possibly ignore. That was our approach. And while a lot of libertarians would have been furious, we were going to go pretty outrageous. A lot of other libertarians would have loved it. And there was a message behind it, too. It, it, was, it, was, it all had a point. It had a message. It was aspirational. But the point is that it catches people's attention. Find me anybody that was uh, presidential material that's more interesting than John McAfee. Please. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you here from Justin Cowgill. He says, he did really well with the commercials he made for McAfee, and they were inspiring. Does he have any advice for other people who would like to make inspiring photographs, ad, and commercials? Uh, yeah. When I made, I made those videos, I had no idea that when I came on the campaign that I was going to make videos because I've never made a video before in my life. What happened was, all of a sudden, I got announced, and I had to justify what the Judd's running with McAfee, I had to explain what am I bringing to the table. And I got the gig really because of the photos, because my name is on everybody's profile photo. And so what I, I decided to do, yeah, and it was just a different approach that McAfee's, he's different. He's not Gary Johnson. He's not a politician. He, he decided to take a totally different approach and take a chance with, with somebody like me who is not, I have no intention of being presidential material. I don't even want to be a politician political office sounds miserable to me. That, that wasn't the point of it. The point is that it was a platform. And so I had to justify myself and show what I'm bringing to the table. So I, I decided to make that really simple ad. And, you know, I didn't want to be a boring politician telling people our top three issues in the camera. I decided I'm just going to make a simple ad that shows maybe this is something cool you won't want to be a part of. So I made that video with all those photos that are flashing by. And I had an editor make that for me because I'd never had a, a video editing app installed on my computer. And um, I gave him a pool of photos to use, but I, it, that's just so personal, the selection of photos that I had. A, I installed a video editing app and I um, had him give me the, the, the project file and I slotted in my own photos uh, so that I, to, to complete that video. And that's, that's how that one came out. And then suddenly I have a video editing app and I just started playing with it. And I had this awesome idea. I was so excited about it. I was smoking weed at night. And I was coming up with tons of ideas. I was like, I would actually specifically have like a smoke session and just try to like deep dive into like what I could do. That's when I came up with the slogan, let life live. That's when I came up with like most of the ideas, even that first video I came up with, like I was stoned actually. 
And uh, <laughs> I had this other idea um, because, I, I mean, I was racking my brain for something that's more interesting. Because to be honest with you, when I'm, when I'm smoking weed, uh, I, I'm a little bit more in tune with what's pulling at me. And then if I can be a little bit more in tune and find something that pulls at me and grips me, then I can probably follow a path that pulls at somebody else. So I had this awesome idea I was so excited about. I called my campaign, the people on the campaign team in Maccabee, and I told everybody, this is going to be the best political ad of all time that anyone's ever seen. Hands down. No one's ever seen anything like this, but I don't know how to use a video editing app. So let me figure out how to make this thing work. And, and just trust me, this is going to be awesome. And then I, my first time playing around with video editing, I made that both different ad. Wow. wow. And I had no intention and it went viral. It was being shared and it was just something different. And it was way outside the bounds of what you expect from political advertising. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to inspire people, vote different, be different, think differently. Don't do what everyone else is doing. I needed to embody that message in the video itself. And this is coming from a very different place. Like I had no intention of making videos and I just started doing it. And that was the very first time I played with it. I did like, I didn't even intend to go down the rabbit hole of, with photos too much. And I just did in the first, because I followed something that I liked. So find something that connects with you and pursue it and be open, uh, be fluid. That was not at all why I was brought on. And it became like the signature point of uh, my contribution to the campaign. All right, man. Daryl W. Perry asks, would you rather fight one John McAfee sized duck or a hundred duck sized John McAfee's? <laughs> <laughs> That's tough. Um, I wouldn't want to fight John McAfee on any level. Like, I don't have any, that wouldn't be interesting to fight with a duck, but a bunch of little McAfee's could be fun. <laughs> okay. You went with the fun instead of what you think you would win. That's such an interesting way of looking at that. Yeah. I would have like, I'm like, I would never Definitely do a- one John McAfee sized duck. Me too. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you might have uh, an easier win, but what's a more interesting experience? Yeah. I love everything you're saying. Yeah. Basically, yeah. I like, I live by this philosophy. Uh, whenever the, all things being equal, always choose the bolder option. Hey, this is Blast Off, and this is the After Party, and I'm here with my beautiful ray of truth, the beautiful Raylene Lightheart. Hi, Johnny. Hello, everyone. How you doing? Really good. Was that a great show? Uh, it was great. I love Walter Block. I love that man. I know. And it was weird. Yeah, is me too. I didn't swear. I don't think I swore or swore on that show. So now, just for the record, I felt so much better. Because, you know, like, Walter's old. You know, I, like, he's a good man. And he was respectable. Yeah. He was a respectable guy. So I just didn't want to. I, I just don't think he would have appreciated me sounding like a sailor or something like that. You don't swear with Walter Block. You don't swear with Jason Stapleton. Or Tom Woods. You don't. Or Tom. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't. I yeah, just, you know, you know, right? I just read the, I read the audience. That's like half the battle, right? You have to read the audience. Like, do I want to make this PG-13 or do I really want to make it R? Like with Sarah, bam. We, we just interviewed Sarah Daggers a couple days ago, and uh, it was great. But, like, what I was saying is I didn't because she didn't, so I was all for it. But, by the way, Raylene, we have a special guest. Walter Block couldn't stay on very long, so, you know, he had to go to bed. He's old, you know, and it's not his a fault of his own. It's just the years have not been kind to him. And, and he it, lives in a different time zone than us. I don't know. He just seemed tired. He's like, I got to go. I'm like, okay. So I ain't going to look a gift horse in the mouth. I mean, it was great having him on. He's such a badass. Agree. But we got our own ground control here to discuss our, our episode with Walter Block. Give it up for Ben Weagle. Yeah, yeah. 
Hey, how's it going? Good, man. And uh, for all of you guys who don't know Ben, he is the voice, the funny character in all of our shows who has his little funny commentaries in between segments. And uh, Ben, you're awesome, man. I think you're doing a great job. And thank you so much for being on Team Blastoff, man. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Uh, appreciate the uh, feedback. Pretty excited to be here. You know, I get to discuss uh, Walter Block, one of my heroes. So that's uh, exciting stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. That was great. Uh, again, we, we had so much fun. And you were actually listening to him while we recorded. Yeah. So that's what I thought was kind of interesting. You're like kind of on standby. In yeah, the- I finally got off work. You know, Johnny stopped, uh, you know, slave driving me. Now I get to have some beers and, you know, <laughs> in the after party. So that's right. That's I right. can't wait to hear all of your opinions on everything. It's going to be fun. Okay. So, Raylene, you had a funny story. I just got to hear the story because you were telling us before we actually we started recording. Right. And you got to tell the story because this is awesome. So my, my daughter gets home from work tonight and she comes in and she's telling us about, she's like, oh, a coworker of mine. I just said they listen to your podcast, which is kind of crazy because we live in a small town and, you know, libertarians, whenever you find them, you, you feel like they're your people, like you know them already. But he's not a libertarian, but uh, which I didn't know. And so I, I said, oh, OK, cool. What did he think? She goes, well, do you want some constructive feedback? And I said, yeah, yes, of course I do. And she said, well, he liked you and thought you were really good. And I was like, OK, that's that's nice. And then she goes, but he hates Johnny, right? <laughs> and I go, what? And she, she goes, he says, he's just a huge <laughs> hates him, right? And I was like, well, that's not changing because that's the show. We love Johnny and, and all of his So uh, yeah. thanks for the feedback. That is no. awesome. And I was saying to Raylene, mission achieved, you know, like mission right. accomplished. <laughs> I mean, like, well, and that's, that's the funny part is that he is an ANCOM, turns out. So of he course probably, he's going to think I'm a because I say commies suck. Your socialist better dead than red. Yeah, you didn't say soy boys or anything. I mean, it like where it could have gone. Yeah, it could. I mean, whatever. But I mean, that guy. But I think it's awesome that he thought I was a. That's great. That's the best news I've heard all day. But is it a compliment that he thought I was good? Because I'm like, what am I going to do now? Do I got to come out a little bit harder? No, I mean, you're playing your part. You're supposed to be kind of the nice person. Yeah, it's like good cop, bad cop, you know? Yeah. That that is actually how it is. Yeah, it's like you're supposed to be like, oh, everyone likes Raylene. How can you not agree? You know, Raylene comes out with speeches like, why don't we just all get together and hold hands and and sing (laughs) sing how happy we are? It's really funny. Like that one time that you recorded that rant that I didn't know you were recording and I was just getting all liberty yeah I, I never I, I never released that either no that's the funny part and i should, should because it was probably nasty i probably said some horrible things you were talking about that. how much you hate black people and uh oh my god <laughs> you stop that no i'm kidding no, don't no no, no. i'm like no, i'm, I'm totally like sweating joking. right now no jesus no it was a joke i'm totally kidding she just didn't like I'm mexicans so oh it was my a- god johnny <laughs> so yes johnny's but we love it. We uh, love it. Thanks. No, I, I, I just <laughs> felt like when you said it, I, he's a, he's a, I'm like, yeah. And he was an ANCOM. And that just made it that much better. It made it that much better. I mean, I'm, I'm totally cool with this. This street cred. It is street cred. Yeah. If you're not pissing someone off, Ray Ray, you're not doing your job. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, this kind of is a good segue into what he was talking about with explicit cooperation versus implicit. And, uh, or benev- benevolence. Or too, benevol- was, uh, he said yeah, benevolence, yeah. explicit cooperation versus implicit, which he was stating, and I agree with this. And I, I, I totally see where he's coming 
coming from that us as human beings have been programmed to think of explicit benevolence cooperation as the only way to do things right like Mm -hmm. oh i need to help you out and you fall down i'm going to need to pick you up because if i fall down you're going to be there to pick me up and we form a trust a friendship where what i think is really cool and and i i get it like that's how people think and that's there's nothing wrong with that that makes sense sure if somebody's makes the dream work sure sure so somebody's like upset or whatever uh you know i want to i want to call you whatever i'm down and bottle whatever you know you could talk to them maybe maybe they'll help you out that's what i think you know people like benevolence they want to help people because it's there to help the human race and they feel good about it that's right and they feel good about it when they feel good about it they feel good about themselves their confidence soars and everything's good to go but like he was talking about the implicit cooperation or benevolence in its markets and i thought it was brilliant because it's kind Mm -hmm. of the unseen and a lot of people don't really think about it like that but it really is the unseen like bastiat would say yes it's keeping things in order without and and possibly benefiting a lot of people but nobody can really pinpoint where it's coming from and then we can look at this in in a praxeology or praxeology kind of sense of human action and how markets are just naturally occurring and yet we don't really realize that they're happening and how we are being benevolent to each other through trade and through exchange and everyone is happier at the end yet nobody really acknowledges that those markets how wonderful they don't understand it and uh the people that want to talk about economics are usually really their their noses in the numbers and that's why it's so hard to understand the concept of the of Austrian economics because well all right so yeah. exactly mm-hmm. what you said with the uh, the seen and the unseen and it it you know it, number one it's it's kind of sad but it's it's very much I think what the problem is but um, I was thinking about it you could actually flip it to the opposite too where you could say um, you know force or malevolence you know being mean to people is the same thing where we see the explicit and we're strongly against it like if I punch somebody in the face or if I kill somebody you know those mm-hmm. sorts of things everybody's against but then they don't see the the aggression and the violence of the state and they they don't see that taxation is theft and it's really whether it's good or bad actions it's like they don't i don't know they don't have the ability to like look below the surface and you know see when it's uh when it's not seen i guess they can't tell what it is when it's not seen you know well the products of uh cults people that have been brainwashed this is this is actually out there in the psychology field people that have been brainwashed believe who conflicting things are true at the same time, which is why the book 1984 with the uh, war is peace and love is hate and, and the opposite ideas on the posters, on the propaganda posters, they wrote those posters in that book is because if you believe two polar opposite things are the same, then you believe in nothing and then brainwashing can come in and and and. It's cognitive dissonance is what we're talking about here to a very extreme degree. So people, you know, you hear statism is a dangerous religion. And when we're talking about statism, people will see the problems or the symptoms of the problem is what it is, the symptoms of the problem. And then when you point out how it is the state behind it, they immediately go, "Uh uh-uh. You know, they won't let themselves even hear it. It's capitalism. You didn't know that? No, It is. Oh, you know, I mean, it, I, that's what I'm saying. No, it's uh, not capitalism. It's white males. Oh, it, well, that too, <laughs> oh. because they're it, it, and the glass ceiling, you know, and I don't know. I, I think there is a lot of choices. Right. And here's, let's face it. I mean, men build, I mean, I'm not knocking women because they build too, mm-hmm. but men build a lot and that's really what they do. I mean, they built this city on rock and roll. I mean, they did. 
Okay, so our executive producer, Kim Roth, uh, I, we asked our Facebook listeners that we're interviewing you tonight, and what questions do we have, and you know, do you guys have any questions? So we had 60 comments, and <laughs> most of them were Kim Roth. So I'm uh, dying right now. I'm reading them like laughing my butt off. They're funny. <laughs> and, uh, but I just want, okay, Kim Roth asks, Kim Roth asks, yeah, Kim Roth asks. Okay, she's our executive. So she'll get like, we'll give her three. Kim, we uh, we love you. We do. We really do. Mm-hmm. But we yeah. want to limit it to three because you are on fire. <laughs> like, I wish you, I wish I could come up with these questions. So I'll oh, start off. If there's with, only three, then that means that you have to pick the best ones. That's a lot of pressure. It is. But stand by. Just work with me. I'll do one Kim Ruff, and then you can do. I'll do a Kim Ruff one too. No, no. You do James Weeks. No. Yes. Okay. And then I'll do Matthew, and then you can do a Kim Ruff. All right. Okay. All right. Here we go. Are you ready? Are you ready, Sarah? I'm not ready, no. Okay, <laughs> that's perfect. Good. Let's go. <laughs> This is the after party, so you got 30, 40 people listening to this. Lee Oxford asks, what is the, this kerfuffle over pizza toppings everyone keeps yammering on about? Will we ever be able to heal the divide caused by it? I'll take my answers off the air. I have to because it's pre-recorded show. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think that people just haven't been awoken to the joy of pineapple and jalapeno peppers and pepperoni and I think that's really just all that it is so after the government is demolished and we have that little extra fund left then we'll just buy everybody pineapple pizza with pepperoni and jalapeno and the world will be a better place and we won't have to argue about it again there you go there you go (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) There there are more questions about how why are you so awesome I'm just just love you have big fans why is she so damn awesome where did she learn her incredible hugging skills okay so our executive producer came off asks again uh parking lots have you ever masturbated in them <laughs> why or why not and then john phillips goes masturbated and then kim goes i've never done it so i don't know how to spell it <laughs> i haven't yet okay how about but it work? will be a cheerful a tearful reunion. <laughs> You're just like do. terrible and tearful at the same time. It's terrible. It's terrible. 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 Okay. Oh, go ahead, Ray. Ray, Ray, go ahead. Okay. Kim Ruff asks, long time fan, first time caller here. <laughs> That girl needs help. Uh, uh, what is this uh, over pizza toppings? I did that one already. I did that. That was, I did that one. That's a, oh, this is just getting crazy. Okay. That was, that was Lee Oxford. Edit. <laughs> oh my God. I was making it up. So I put up, I made up a name. Oh, I wanted okay. To, Jesus. You're like, so sorry. <laughs> Jesus Fanny Bum says, what is your opinion? I'm in for <laughs> Of fake redheads in the party. That their presence is antithetical to our core libertarian beliefs. Hold on, I'm dying. I'm dying. Oh my god. People, people don't need to deceive other people with their fake red hair. Do the curtains match the drapes? Johnny Rocket. Hardwood floors. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Bam. 
Paul Ron asked. <laughs> Paul Ron. Are you serious? I wonder who this is. Who is, uh, is this? Kim Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely Kim. Hey, this is the Blast Off After Party with me, Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my Ray of Truth, Miss Raylene Lightheart. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we're having a good time with Tim Mullen. We're actually kind yeah. of, I just took a swig of uh, bourbon, and uh, Tim, I don't know if he's drinking yet, but uh, we're going to encourage him to do so, and it's always fun when we do drink here. Oh, right. Tim, are you having a good time here on Blast Off? I'm having a great time, and, and welcome to all the After Party VIP guests that are here. You're the cool kids. Congratulations. They are. they are the cool people. They are the cool kids. It's true. They are. They're our peeps. You know that? They are our peeps. Okay, so what we do here is normally, you know, sometimes we have, you know, we have some pretty big guests and you're one of them. And so I usually go online and be like, I have this guest on. We need some questions. We want some, right. you know, you guys listen to us. This is what we do. So, Tim, it's time for the listeners to put you on blast. Are you ready to answer their questions? Ah, yeah. Right. <laughs> you're so excited. It's going to be fun. All right. So, John Phillips Jr. asks you, Tim Mo leader of the Libertarian Party of Canada. Is it a hockey game before blood is on the ice? No, it's not a hockey game. We call that ringette. <laughs> Nerf. Nerf. We call it. We call it. Nerf. Nerfed. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, there's got blood has to be spilt before hockey. it's considered okay. hockey, obviously. Okay. Oh my God. It's so much, so much Canada on this. This is so funny. So much chaos in this conversation. I love it. Shane Sweeney asks, is maple syrup chugging a rite of passage for Canadians or just a cop thing in America? The world wants to know. <laughs> no, it is a rite of passage. You try chugging a thing of maple syrup. Only men with hair on their chest and hair on their balls can chug maple syrup. Uh, yes. We usually follow it up with uh, a bottle of Crown Royal, uh, <laughs> which we chug after that. It's That's the chaser. Okay. Diabetes. Okay. Do you guys even have Crown Royal oh, yeah. in the U.S.? Yeah, we do. Oh, yeah, okay. we drink that. We drink a lot of Canadian whiskey here. It happens. Good. Okay, so John Phillips Jr. asked another question, but Raylene, jump to that one because I'm going to switch it off. Brent D. Ritter asks, why the hell would you put milk in bags? Because we don't have bottles. Hello? <laughs> we we have a glass shortage here. <laughs> we have plastic containers. I what mean. an insensitive bastard to ask that question. Thanks for pointing out that we don't have glass here. <laughs> yes, the great glass wars of 1973 have left us short and we're down to bags. It's probably actually more economic, honestly, for shipping and and. Problem. You know what, to be honest with you, I haven't seen milk bags in years. We used to have them as kids, right. uh, oh. but I, I, I honestly, I haven't seen milk bags in, uh, in probably 30 years, to be honest. Interesting. Do you want to hear a funny story, you guys, really fast? Yeah, we have no option. What, okay, I used, to, I, right. I used to work in a restaurant and so did my husband at the time we were not married. And they have these five gallon bags of milk with the big, long udder thing that that you, you just liked it because it was machine. long and it had an udder. Right. Yeah. So, um, okay. So you feed it, you put it in the milk machine that keeps it cold at your restaurant and it, you take the long hose and then you just cut it to size after you pull it through. And mm -hmm. you know, when you lift the handle, okay. I've seen that. So, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like dispensable okay, so milk. Yeah. 
Right. So Food Services of America brought the wrong kind of milk. They brought chocolate instead of regular. And they said, you know what? You could just take it. You know, it's already been opened. Just take it. So my husband had it at his house. So we were watching a movie and um, I got thirsty and then it looked too heavy. So I just got on the floor (laughs) of the kitchen. This is back when we were just friends. So I get on the floor of the kitchen and just put the nipple in my mouth on the floor and I'm drinking out of it, right? And I just, I thought, while he's in the bathroom. Oh my God. Yes. Raylene, Raylene, that is so (laughs) punk rock. I would have have married you right on the spot if I walked over the washroom and saw that. Yeah, I know. So so he comes in and he's like, he literally goes, oh my God, what are you doing? I'm like, look at him all guilty, like drinking on the floor. So... That, how could he not fall in love with this? I know. That's yeah. a great story, Ray Ray. Great story. All right. You asked the John Phillips Jr. story. John question. Phillips Jr. asks. <laughs> yeah, I, like really? how you change, I like how you change your voice. You're like, yeah, I'm having okay, a good time. John Phillips Jr. asks. <laughs> All right. He wants to know, does he really think picking your nose is less degrading and more meaningful than voting? Ooh. Yes. I think I think Tim fell in. Well, so, sorry, I, I unplugged my mic there for a sec. I was picking I my nose, wrong. and I just. <laughs> um, yes, I mean, look, voting is asking your captor to bend you over and sodomize you in yes. a particular way in front of your family. It's utterly humiliating, unless you're both libertarian. In which case, it's worthwhile because you're sending a signal to everyone uh, that you want less government, and uh, and you're getting helping us get the message out there, but. Any uh, other vote for any other party is utterly degrading, and you shouldn't utterly. do it. You should have some utterly exactly. Utterly, you should, you should have uh, you should have some dignity and self respect, and be able to look your kid and wife in the eyes uh, and say, "I didn't ask for this, and I will uh, not in my name. Yes. Not in my name. Wow, not in my name. Right. Okay, so Shane Sweeney asks: These people are obsessed with these milk bags. What is the biggest hurdle facing the Canada LP? And why is it bagged milk? You know, there's something to this. Like the dairy cartel does have a stranglehold for some reason on Canadian politics. It really does. It, it, uh, it's amazing. I mean, they, they determined the outcome of the Conservative Party leadership race. Andrew Shear beat Maxime Bernier by like 12 dairy farmers. And so <laughs> it, it, they, they really, you know, these dairy farmers in Canada are, are millionaires because of supply management because it's impossible to get a license and... Yeah. So, <laughs> so oh my God. So it, it is a it is a challenge for sure. The the special interest groups like the dairy farmers are represent a huge channel challenge. But an even bigger challenge is the average Canadian. Meet the average voter. I mean, I can imagine in the US it's not that different. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I w- they're, they're if I were to smart. win an election very smart if I people. were to win an <laughs> if I were to win an election in Canada, I would consider myself an utter failure as a an human utter being. failure. There we go. Utter failure. There you go. <laughs> Come on. This show so, should be called Utter Failure After Party. And uh. music to my ears. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. God. Oh, dad jokes. Oh, dad jokes. I'm a, a dad, too. You guys are milking it now. Oh. Oh, oh there's Boom. a Boom. Another one. Oh. I'm laughing so hard, Mel came out my nose. All right. What was that? What was that? Jersey, Jersey. I was going to make a pun about Jersey cows, but what's uh, it called when you do the Jersey thing? What's it called again? I don't know. What, what was the term? You're killing the joke. The, I don't know the joke. The, the I know. Jersey I just termed term. it Jersey Turnpike. The Jersey. I don't know. That isn't it. Uh, it was maybe that's a sex term. position. I was thinking. Oh, you got Jersey. You got Jersey. 
You get cheers. I know the dolphin. That's the only sex. Yeah, what? I really did ruin that. Yeah, Can you I did. step in you, it more? You, you, yeah, just keep stepping Cow in. Cow pie. <laughs> you don't <laughs> that up. All right. All right. You go. <laughs> we were like on a roll, and you're like, what's that Jersey cow thing that you talked about? Hey, you know what I'm hey, talking hey, about? I'm like, no. We hey, don't. guys. Hey, guys. It's it's where you Do pull a jersey over someone's head and feed them uppercuts. Yeah. Okay. Really quick, Tim, though. Here's the thing. You cannot compete against free shit. And it's really hard. Yeah. A lot of people, when you keep saying things like free markets, free markets, they go, boo, evil capitalists. It's we could provide more for less, more efficiently, more effectively under a free market. Anyways, so this is the after party. We got to wrap it up. But what we can do is, Tim, if you're cool with staying around for the all nighter, that'd be badass for another 20 minutes. Can you do it? I can do that. I Let's can do, do that. it. Let's yes. do it. All right, man. All cool. Because right. we still got more questions and we haven't answered it because we went on a tangent. Fancy a nightcap, y'all? Yep. Let's do a nightcap. Let's grab another. I'm going to grab another bourbon, another shot of bourbon and uh, another beer. So we're going to continue this conversation. And again, thank you guys so much for supporting the our Patreon at supportblastoff.com. Anyway, so this is Johnny Rocket with My Ray of Truth, Miss Raylene Lightheart. And we're talking to Tim Moen. And if you guys are a $2 subscriber, make sure you check out our all-nighter with Mr. Tim Moen. So thank you guys. It's only for the coolest kids. The even the Don't cooler, come if you're not the coolest. The cooler will get the all-nighter. So thank you guys so much for subscribing. Rock and roll. Roger that, Johnny. Seatbelts and shoulder harnesses. Your body, your choice. Landing gear and downward expanders. NAT initiated. Anti-state superchargers. Defragged and woke. Landing lights and guest websites. Make sure you check us out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. And for a rockin' good time, check us out weekly at blastoffshow.com. Rock and roll.